Well, as we've been unpacking in Ephesians, what has God been teaching you? What has God revealed to you? So we're going to have a roaming mic from our good friend John Ramsden. It's roaming by John. It's held by John, uh, which means that there are some of us see these things and we're like, oh, this is my moment to shine like Australia's got talent. We love for you to share, but as much as possible, keep it brief. But more than anything else, share what God has been teaching you through his word. Thanks, mate. So put your hand up and we'll go for it. Okay, I've actually done a poem on Ephesians, and I'll just read three verses. There's nine verses. There's one body, one spirit, one call, one faith, one baptism, one Lord over all. Christ triumphant gives gifts to his church, growing as as adults, not knocked off our perch. Not grieving the spirit, I now walk the line, imitating God, forgiving and kind. Be trans- behaviour transformed, pleasing the Lord, avoiding God's wrath on those who reject the Lord. Shun foolish texting and fooling around in the night, rather living and acting as children of light. Walking, head held high, redeeming the time, filled with the spirit, never drunk with wine. Fantastic. Thanks, guys. Thanks, mate. You can clap, by the way. We don't mind. <laughs> Somebody else to share? Yes. Oh, no, no, somebody was pointing to somebody. <laughs> That's funny. You nearly got yourself in there. Somebody else? Who's learned something? Who's learned something? Yeah, terrific. Here we go. Claire, we'll come with you, then we'll come across to you. This is Claire. Hi. As I went over Ephesians the last few days, there's so much that challenged me and excited me. But one of the things that I was really challenged with in the sermon about unity and the fact that we are one in Christ. That's what draws us together, not our sense of fashion or our likes and dislikes, the way we do things, you know, the movies we like or, you know, whether we should or shouldn't do this. It's because we belong to Jesus. And I was challenged about one person who seemed to, I don't know, press buttons in me. Oh, I said, okay, God, then I have to ask you to help me love this person because they're yours just as I'm yours they're yours too whether I like or dislike how they do things what they say or whatever so it's been quite exciting for me to have this experience of God teaching me to love this person despite my original way of looking at them (laughs) thanks yeah, she came to me and, and asked forgiveness, and it was <laughs> it's great, Claire. What a great message. What a great message. That's a wonderful part of Ephesians 2. Trevor, is it you over this way? Yeah. This is Trevor. Thanks, John. Uh, Richard's communion focus this morning, talking about the lens through which we look at things. Um, what I've learnt in Ephesians is that with submission uh, husbands to wives if we look at submission and we look at this through the lens of the Holy Spirit rather than the lens of our egos it just makes things a whole lot easier Thanks Trevor, I'm going to wander back over the other side is there anybody on the other side? 
when I say on the other side, you know what I mean. Somebody over this way? Yep, great. Michael, let me come, come to you, mate. This is Michael. Hi, John. One of the things that stood out for my reading of Ephesians, um, sort of the antidote for getting out of a rut, out of a routine, when you think that um, there's lots of limits around you, that there is a, um, an enormous um, amount that we can go on and achieve and do great things for God if we get the right view. So Paul, in his uh, prayer for the Ephesians, talked about these great things that could be done and that, um, that his prayer was that they may have the power to, together with all the saints to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ. But the verse that stuck with me was verse 20, uh, and probably a reflection of my own um, prayer time, but to be able to do a whole lot more in that regard. So here's this verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. So this immeasurably more than what I could ask or imagine, that's what God wants to do in my life through Jesus Christ. And that verse sort of stuck in my mind for weeks on end since we uh, first looked at this and reminded me to get out of a rut of prayer life, out of a, a rut of, of just going about things in an ordinary kind of way. So that was my verse, Ephesians 3.20. Ready to have this sign? Yeah, great. Sarah. Thanks. Uh, in our Bible study, we've been doing Ephesians as well, and um, one thing that's really stood out to me has been this phrase of beautiful contrasts. And as we were going through particularly the first half of Ephesians and just looking at, oh, well, this is what you were. You were foreigners. You were far away. You were dead. You were in darkness. But now, and you see the beautiful contrast of what we are in Christ. And it's been really cool to read the last half of Ephesians under that sort of an idea of what a blessing it is to live under Christ and with his family. Somebody else there? How, many, what, how, how long have we got, Shabu? What do we want to do, mate? One more? A couple more? Yeah, a couple more. Yeah, no, I don't want to squish it either, mate. Is anybody else around the place? Yeah, yeah, here we go. I've got one here. Alan? This is Alan, one of the elders. Um, just actually one verse I wanted to read that really uh, just hits home to me, and it's um, in Ephesians 4, uh, verse 4. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father who is over all and in all and living through all. That says it all, doesn't it? And we'll have the last one here. Who have we got there? Oh, Bron. Sorry, Bron. This is Bron. Hold that. Hold that. I was looking at a lot of verses about grace and, and, and loving the word grace, which is one of my favourite words, being a Christian. And so there's quite a few, but just a couple. And one particularly says, Grace and peace be to you from our God and Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And, of course, we go right to the end, which we were talking about um, this morning in the first service. It's, it's grace again, pardon me. And, of course, we look at, again, um, where am I? I've lost it. Lost it, lost it, lost it. I'm coming. Uh, I was looking for the word grace. Am I too far away? No. Just can't see it at the moment. But again, grace and peace. And, uh, of course, all through Ephesians, every section I look at, grace came evident to me. And I've just been thanking the Lord very much this week for his grace.
And if you stand sideways, you can see how much he's been reading Ephesians because there's even a hole straight through Ephesians <laughs> from flipping over. You must love those pages, mate. It's fantastic. I love a Bible that's well used because when the Bible's well used, the devil's not amused, basically, is he? Um, one last one. Who's, somebody who's prepared something or had thought to say something? No? We're done? Okay. Thanks, Shabu. Thanks, folks. That's great. Um, thanks, John. Uh, Friends, the reason why we do that is a couple of things. One, uh, we would love uh, to be the normal culture in our church that as you have tea and coffee and talk about the latest Socceroos, um, you know, advance and World Cup and footy and what's been happening, good weeks, bad weeks, maybe even ask the question, hey, what's God been teaching you through his word? Uh, we would love to see that be continue to grow in the culture in our church. And secondly, if you're someone who is exploring the Christian faith, you may see the Bible as just a historical book. You might be a bit skeptical. What you saw was an evidence of how the Word of God is the living and active Word, and that he, uh, the Word of God is speaking and, and changing and shaping. And that's why we wanted to do that this morning, to, to show that to you. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, we're going to wrap up our series, well, for now anyway, till next week, to Ephesians chapter 6, and if you could turn to Ephesians 6, verses 21 to 24. Here is God's Word. So that you also may know how I am and what I'm doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, that he may encourage your hearts and hearts. Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ, with love incorruptible. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for the great privilege to be under your word. We thank you for the way that you've been revealing yourself to us both individually and as a church family, as we've been exploring this wonderful letter. We pray now as we continue this time of worship that you would speak to us and reveal to us what's on your heart. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, you might, if you're, like I said the, uh, earlier, if you are on the church email list, you would have received an email from me or from the church at some point, or you might be on one of those uh, email lists and people send you emails uh, over and over again. Uh, and at the um, bottom of the email, usually there's a little statement. Uh, in our email, you would have seen it, or we'll see if you know this or not, uh, is usually the church address. It's got the email address, it's got the website, it's got our um, Facebook link, it's got our little statement about what we're about as a church, it's got statements like this email, including any attachments is confidential, Uh, I don't know if that's true all the time, but that's uh, what it says, Uh, there's the church ABN number, talking about third parties, and do not, you know, we're hoping we didn't send you a virus, we do, and if we have, we apologize now. Um, You'll see this little writing on the very bottom. Now, let's be honest here. How many of you have read that word for word, that, those kind of email statements? Oh, there's a couple of people. All right, great. I'm going to put your name down. The committee of management are looking for detailed people to join our team. I've got a confession to make to you. This week was the first time I read it word for word. I know, it's terrible, isn't it? But I wonder sometimes when we come to certain parts of the Bible 
including the last few verses. And if you have a physical Bible, it'll say something like uh, Paul's final greeting or final greetings. And we tend to just sort of skim over it and go, oh, well, Paul's just saying goodbye to this church that he, he loves very much. But see, if all of God's word is true and active, then these words are also for us today. This is a church that he is, um, deeply loves, he cares for. It's actually one of the few churches that he spent a significant time uh, with when he did his missionary journeys. And this morning, what I want us to unpack or consider are a couple of things. One, what defines a good name? What defines a good name? And secondly, I want us to explore three blessings that come in these verses. Firstly, what do I mean by what defines a good name? Now, Paul, remember, is in prison. Uh, he's writing this letter and he's, he's sending it out. And, and he's, uh, in those days, he couldn't have jumped on the email or Facebook or didn't have his blog and, and send out a bit of a group email. He couldn't call Australia Post and ask for an express post parcel delivery. His personal career was a guy called Tychicus. Uh, Tychicus was part of his ministry team, part of his mission group. Uh, and, and this guy, Tychicus and Paul, know each other very well, but what we can understand from the New Testament. Uh, he's a guy that um, shows up for the very first time in Acts. In Acts 20, you can look that up later if you like. It was during Paul's third missionary journey. What we know about Tychicus, at the very least, is that he was a man who was involved as a companion, as part of the ministry team for Paul. He even was the one who was trustworthy in that he was willing to take a gift to the church. And you can see that in Romans. He's also described as a man as a native of Asia or Asia Minor. This is where Ephesus is actually, as we look in that, or if you look in the modern day, it's in, found in modern day Turkey. This is what we know about Tychicus. He might have known the church in Ephesus, but he is described in this way. He's described as someone who is a beloved brother, a friend. The relationship that is described here is quite um, wonderful because it shows the companionship, the friendship, that Paul has with this guy. It's a deep friendship. They're more than just uh, ministry workers together, serving together. They're actually brothers, a beloved brother. And then Paul describes him as a faithful minister in the Lord. The language that Paul's using is to describe about him being faithful. He's not just saying, oh, look, you know, Tychicus is a good bloke. What he's saying is Tychicus is a man who is faithful, meaning that he believes in the good news of the gospel. That Tychicus believes in the promises and trusts in the promises of the gospel to the point he believes in the full gospel. That language of faithful is to describe someone who believes and is convinced by Jesus and who he is and what he's done, and that he is the risen God. And someone who's faithful is described as someone who's convinced that he is the author and perfecter of faith and salvation. Uh, I know it's not much. It's just very kind of a, almost like a throwaway line talking about someone who's a faithful brother, faithful minister in the Lord. But I've been really thinking and pondering on this this past week and asking myself, how would someone describe me? How would someone describe you? How would someone describe our church? What kind of language would they use? 
In some sense, what's the thing that measures our life? What do we kind of say, hey, this is, describes someone who has a good life, someone who's good, someone's a good bloke, a good person. What's the measure of our lives? What are the kind of language we might use? See, in the culture that you and I live in today, there are various things, and most of it is external. It's based on the type of job that you might have, the title to that job. It might be based on the kind of status that you have in the world that you live in. In Australian culture, this is a very big thing. And by the way, what I'm saying now is not saying you're not allowed to, but whether you own a home or not, whether you've paid off your mortgage or not, maybe you're someone who's a business owner, how successful is your business? Sometimes in our culture, we might think, well, what kind of income do we have? Or if you have kids, the, the, the kind of kids, these are kind of the measure of success, how well our kids go. If you're studying, you know, what kind of marks you're achieving. These are the kind of external view that we might have what's the measure of our lives. But what about in our Christian culture that seeps in? I remember when I was single, like, why are you not married yet? That's the success in life. Oh, you're still single, what's going on? You know what? Christian leaders are also tempted to consider certain things of measurement. I mean, this happened literally so often this week. We had uh, someone who came and visited our church property to talk about a couple of things, and they asked me, the first question that they asked me was, how big is your church? I've got a confession to make to you. You know what I wanted to do? This is what I did. Then I had to tell them, Actually, this is what's really going on. So my temptation is, oh, look, you know, we've got about uh, 450 people on our database. That includes the cats and dogs and everyone that we want to include. And then I just thought, that, what, am I, what am I doing? Why is that important? I had to say to, say to this person, well, actually, um, I don't know, it depends on Sundays. Sometimes we have lots of people, sometimes we don't. I mean, this even happened last, yesterday, I was hanging out, um, the eldership, we went to an elders retreat, a training, and um, often when you're hanging out with ministers, that's the first question they ask. And the question I got asked was, how big's your church? And I just remember standing there going, I just said to this person, actually, I, I really don't know, you know, on which Sunday are you talking about? I think sometimes we look at these things and these markers and we kind of judge it based on that. But see, Jesus' perspective, the kingdom of God's perspective is quite different. His measure for our lives is quite different. Up here on the screen, you'll see a verse that's quite strong and poignant from the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew 25, verse 21. Jesus has just uh, shared a parable and then he makes this statement where he says... His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Due to Tom, I can't go into the depths of this, but the very least, if you look once again, that same word that Paul uses to describe Tychicus is used in this passage. Talking about someone who's faithful, the one who's convinced about the good news of Jesus, the one who's convinced that Jesus is the Messiah, the author of salvation. Friends, imagine for a moment... If the measure of our lives, if the ministries of our lives, the things that we're involved in is described in such a way, not based on external things, 
but who we are because of Christ. And imagine the very thing that motivated us is not for the accolation, uh, um, um, the praise and, uh, and adoration of the culture that we live in or the things that the world says we should. Rather, the thing, that very first thing that really motivated us to hear that final voice on that day from that one person who says, Well done, good and faithful servant. Imagine if our lives were shaped by that. Imagine our lives and our church family was shaped by that. Imagine if the church community around us who, or people that you interact with might say, hey, I don't really agree with everything you believe, but that's something I've noticed about you is that you're really faithful to this Jesus that you talk about. Would that be a good thing to be known by? I mean, all we know about Tychicus is what we have in the, in the Bible, in Acts, and then in some of the letters. We don't have a description about him and what he looked like. We don't even have, in a sense, the kind of ministry that he did and the success of his ministry. All we have is described that he's faithful, servant of the Lord. And his name is written in the Word of God. It's a great description in some sense. It's a wonderful reminder to you and I that this is what we should base our lives on, that we should be known for. It's just to be faithful servants of the Lord. And that, I think, in some sense sets for us what should be the motivation, what should motivate us to be faithful servants of God. Well, I think in verses 23 to 24, there are three blessings that Paul leaves with this church. He says, Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. In many ways, what Paul does is he unpacks, I think, three blessings. The first blessing that he unpacks is talking about God's work, what God has done. God has bought you and I peace, the kind of peace that can only be achieved through Jesus, the kind of peace that is through the salvation of the gospel. This means there's a peace that is so deep and wonderful that as we remind everyone in communion, we do not need to fear God in the sense that God has brought peace. We're at peace with Him, with the creator of the universe, because of Jesus. And you know, Paul actually begins the letter, if you flip back to chapter 1, he begins the letter in the same way, and he uses the same language, the same word. It's a wonderful reminder to you and I, as we wrap up our uh, letter in Ephesians, that Jesus has brought us peace. That you and I have peace with the creator of the universe. And we have seen that spread out throughout Ephesians, have we not? Such places like up here on the screen are Ephesians chapter 2, 14 to 17. For he, that is Christ himself, is our peace who has made us both one, has broken down his, in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, peace to those who were near. 
This is the wonderful truth and reality of our Savior who has achieved this. And you know what? This is a song we will continuously forever sing, both on this side of heaven and on the other side of eternity. Church, is that not a wonderful blessing? That you and I have peace with the creator of the universe. But see, that means also we can't just exist for ourselves. We exist for God. To share this peace, to talk about this peace, to explain this peace to a world that is around us, wherever God has placed you. And friends, there are some of us who are on this journey of exploring the Christian faith. I want you to know the reason why you don't feel at peace is because you don't have peace with the creator of the universe. And Jesus has done that for you on the cross. And we would love for you to explore that with us, maybe with a friend who brought you this morning. And for those of us who do know Jesus, as we think about our week, do we rest in knowing that we have peace with the Creator of the universe because of Christ? Or are there things or other people calling us to be restless, to not be at peace? Church, this wonderful, simple reminder, a powerful reminder is to remind you and I we have peace. We can face the life that God has given us, no matter whatever circumstances in front of us. The second blessing I think Paul unpacks in these verses is reminded again in the closing sentences. See, what we have in front of us in the second language of this blessing is what is the driving force as he talks about peace, what's the driving our force for all of this? Why is God doing all of these things for us as we unpack in Ephesians? It's his love. He is our loving God. The reason why he does all of the things that he has done, why he's achieving these things, why he's bringing peace because of his love towards us. We've experienced this as we've been unpacking Ephesians, Ephesians 1, 4 to 6, where it says, Even as He chooses us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, for the praise and glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Then again in Ephesians 2, 4-7, But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He has loved us, when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. And again in Ephesians 3, 17-19, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you have been rooted and grounded in love, have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breath and length and height and depth. And know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Once again, if you're someone who does not know this love, we want to let you know there's a God who is a loving God. And you might be trying to find your hope and love in other things. You will never be satisfied. You will be satisfied in the love of God. And Christian friends, what about us when we ponder and consider the love of God? Uh, with our kids, uh, our three kids, there are certain songs in the time when they're restless at night, particularly usually at 3 o'clock in the morning, uh, that will help them calm down. And one of the songs is something, if you've grown up in the Christian church, you know this song really well. 
Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And we go singing. There's moments when I'm singing to my little daughter who might be a bit restless and I need to help calm her down at three o'clock in the morning and sometimes it's more for me than her. And I have to sing these words, Jesus loves me, this I know. But friends, there are times where I just sing it to calm her down. I never ponder and consider the weight and majesty of this love of Christ. Does the love of Christ ever become to you just information? Does the love of Christ ever become information for those people out there? The love of Christ is not like a broken record. But it's a sweet aroma that we, you and I, need to constantly be reminded of and to rest in. And that happens often in our lives, does it not? Maybe even this week. Other things are calling for your love. Other things are asking you to rest in its love rather than resting in Christ's love for you. Rest in His love. That's every motivation for God's actions. And then finally, the third blessing that has unpacked, I think, in verse 24 that we are reminded uh, as we've been exploring all of this good news of Ephesians, through Ephesians, that the, the very foundation, the reason there is this um, aspect of God's peace that's been bought, then there's the love and the foundation that's been built on, it is simply because of God's wonderful, glorious grace. For those of us who know Jesus, grace is this abundant, just abundant, wonderful, glorious reminder that we do not deserve this. Grace is a reminder that is driven by God's gracious kindness. That God in His kindness both saves us, brings peace through His love, and then He connects us with Him through His Son, and then He connects us with each other. People from different backgrounds and cultures and upbringings and journeys in faith. This is all of God's grace. And then he puts us together to display this grace of God, like projecting out into the world in high definition, surround sound, full color of the wonderful, glorious grace of Jesus. Have we not seen this in Ephesians? Like places like Ephesians 2, verses 6 to 10. And raise us up with him and seat us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. The verse that every Christian tends to know, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Friends, if you are someone who is once again exploring the Christian faith, do you know this grace? You might be trying to do all that you can to be made, you make yourself right with a holy God. You can't. There's only one who has done that. His name is Jesus. And to be in relationship with Him, it's a free gift. It's a gracious gift given by Christ to you. 
And Christian friends, this is a message that you and I must not tire from. We must constantly and continuously remind each other and be reminded again and over again of this grace of Christ. Because if we don't, what happens is the good news of Jesus just becomes information rather than something that is active and alive every day as God sends it out as his sent missionaries at home, at work, wherever God has placed you, even to the ends of the earth. It's because of his grace. Richard Koken in his book on the book of Ephesians says this, In Christ we have peace with God because of the love of God flowing from the grace of God. In Christ we have peace with God because of the love of God flowing from the grace of God. See, because of the peace given to us through uh, the love of our Savior, it has been displayed by His grace. And this means that you and I are not called to just sort of stay as a holy huddle, but to be faithful servants sent out, not for the, uh, the praise and worship of this world, but with that one voice that we're hoping to hear on that day when He says, Well done, my good and faithful servant. And church, may we continue to grow this in this as a community. May we continue to rest in these three blessings that God has given us. That you and I have peace with the creator of the universe. Because of his love for us. Shown and displayed beautifully because of his grace. When Richard reminded us this morning about that lens that we look through. This is the lens that we look through. This is the lens that we rest in that we have peace with God because of His love for us, shown and displayed through His grace in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So church, let's pray. Let's pray through a a section in Ephesians to rest in this. And then as we sing together, let's sing and worship our King. In Ephesians, it says this. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. I'm going to invite the team and friends as we sing this last song. Let's sing and worship to our great King.